Hey, this is part two of a two-part episode. If you missed part one of Larry's chat with Matt, feel free to jump back and listen to that first so you don't miss out on any good bits. You have sold some of the most prestigious homes in Brisbane, some of the nicest stuff. Any any nice stories that you can and would like to share without yeah. mentioning without mentioning names that oh, will no, compromise anybody? No, it's good. It's um, no, I was fortunate enough. Um, one of my good friends and client. It was my first big one um, that I, I targeted, and there was a house on um, on the river in Hamilton. There's only two houses along the front there. Uh, one of them was owned by Lorna Jane, and um, the one next door I just heard along the grapevine that they were looking to sell. And there's this wonderful tool that's out there in the in the wide web. It's called Google. I'm not sure if you've heard of that. <laughs> and um, I made a decision that year to not let an opportunity pass me by. So if I heard someone was going to sell, I was going to run at that opportunity. And I got told through the grapevine, but this gentleman, Don O'Rourke, who's a, a developer, big developer, consolidated properties, great guy, and um, that he was going to sell his house on the riverfront in Hamilton. So if Don walked one way, I walked the other way. Um, we wouldn't have known each other. So I went on to Google and I Googled Don O'Rourke Consolidated Properties and this profile popped up, email address, phone number, everything. So I constructed this email and um, sent him this note uh, essentially along the line saying, hi, Don, I don't know you, you don't know me, but I heard you were selling a house. I'm really sorry for the intrusion. However, I know your architect quite well. I've sold 13 of his houses, nothing at the level of what yours is. Well, there's nothing in Brisbane like that. Um, so, but I'd love, um, I'd love some time to sit down with you and show you why I should be the agent that represents you. And he wrote an email back saying, hi, Matt, um, to, uh, next Tuesday, 4.45, you've got 15 minutes. So as soon as that email came through, I literally shat myself. I was like, oh my God, I haven't sold property like this before. The doubt kicked in, the fear kicked in. And I was like, okay, there's only one thing I can do. Uh, in this situation is going to overdrive. So I went and you know, I invested in a um, graphic designer and went through $10,000 at this <laughs> U-Butte presentation folder. Right. And um, I went in and I, I, I met with him in his office and he's with his PA and we got five minutes into the conversation. The rule number one of a listing presentation is build rapport, right? And he looked down at his watch and he's like, you've got 10 minutes. And I was like, oh my God. So I pulled out my book and um, went through the strategy and he just saw how serious I was and I was prepared on you everything like this it was the detail was incredible and I knew everything about the house I knew the size I downloaded every story that I'd seen about I downloaded every story about Don I knew everything and when we were talking he saw that and he knew that and he said hey I was once a young guy like you um, do you know what I'm going to give you a go and I said great well would you like to sign the paperwork here he said look I can't because I've got to tell the other agents that I had lined up for it, that I've already promised it to them that they can't have it. And I said, oh, well, I'll make the call if you want. But, <laughs> and um, to his word, he, to, true to his word, he rang me the next day and said, yep, let's go. And um, so we listed it. Uh, we did a big expression of interest campaign. We spent $180,000 on marketing. We had 400, uh, 498 <laughs> buyers came through the front door. Uh, we had five written... So did he open it to everyone? I did, yeah. Yeah, but he moved, he moved. Normally, the really rich guys do not like nah, that. He moved out. He moved out, oh, okay, and, yeah. and on my recommendation, and moved out. We got a stylist in and styled the whole house, and um, we ended up selling it in five weeks for eleven point eight million dollars. And um, 
it's quite a good fee. It was I think just shy of four hundred grand fee Fantastic. for it, and it was um and literally the the best thing about that deal was, at the end when we were negotiating the deal, the buyer came up to eleven point three, and Don said I'll take it, but, and I said well I don't think you should, and he goes well what do you recommend I do? I've, you're my agent, and I said I think we need to go for more. And he said, well, just bear in mind, if you lose this buyer, I'm going to fucking kill you. <laughs> <laughs> and we sold it for 11.8. And um, look, Was there anything at that time that was comparable so you could say, well, that one sold for 12, therefore... Next door sold for 10.3. Um, and this was better? Yeah. Or you thought so? Yeah. <laughs> it, no, look, it was, it, was, it was a great sale. And it was, it was the Brisbane record at that point of time. And um, which was amazing. Well, it was my first huge sale and we broke the Brisbane record. But then you're only as good as your last sale, right? So I um, decided to use all of, I invited every single property owner that I knew of that owned a house over $5 million to come to the inspections um, and then kept in contact with them every week to let them know how the process was going because everyone thought, oh, it's not going to sell in five weeks, no way. And um, let them all know that it had sold for um, 11.8 million. And it got me into my next opportunity, which was number one Leopard Street in Kangaroo Point. And um, it took me about three months of constant meetings, coffees, everything to, to give them the confidence it was the time to go um, and listed it for sale. Same method, same process without opening it. Um, and we broke the Brisbane record again for 18.48 million. Wow. So it was a, yeah, it was a cracker. And um, so, yeah, they were the, um, the two, and look, I haven't sold anything like that. I've only done a couple of eights, nines and a few others. So where does the top of the pile sit in Brisbane now? At that 20 level for the very best few? Oh, 18.48 is still the that's, record. That's still the yeah. record, eh? Yeah, that's still the record. So I've got a couple that I reckon could crack it. Um, and um, But it's, yeah, that's that's the record at this point. Well, two things stand out in that conversation for me or that, that analogy is that Firstly, you had a serious vendor. Anybody that's spend, prepared to spend $180,000 on his marketing wants to sell. Mm -hmm. So all you had to do was, was show him the evidence that the price was as good as he was going to get and he was going to accept, which was bloody amazing. Um, how did you address a budget of that size? What do you say to your vendor that's going to make him think he should spend $100,000 to get it sold? It's a great question. So... I went to the Career Mail, which is our, you know, our Bible in Brisbane, and um, I said to them, the double page ad, it's just not enough. Like, <laughs> like well, I need a product that we need more. Mm. And they're like, well, there is nothing else. And I said, well, you, you need to come up with something. Is there? And I, I said to them, what I want is when you, you know, like those pop-up books. Mm. I said, when you pop it up, I want his, the building to pop up, you know, out of the paper. And they said, you can't do that. And I said, well, what if you saying you can give me value, what, what's the value? And we did the first ever quad page wrap. So we wrapped the whole front of the paper with a four page ad that went straight over the front and you ripped it off. And it was a, it was a $38,000 ad um, for one week. And it was like, you pull it off and you <laughs> flip it around and it was just awesome. And what that did was not only was it, um, you know, everyone knew about it, everyone was talking about it. They're like, what the hell is this thing? that's come out and you rip it off the front and you can, you know, it's, it, was, it. it was amazing. Like we, we <clears throat> could not fill the space with things on there. So it was like photos and everything. And it was just, yeah, we, we were sort of pioneering and, and Don loved it. He loved the fact that we we're pioneering and doing things and trialing different things and going hard, but we went national. We went, so, you know, all of the main ones, domain and um, 
Mansions, or well, Mansions wasn't there then, but they had a similar product to that, um, and went uh, international, all of those things, and just went doubled up on everything because you know. And I genuinely believe the more eyeballs that see something, the better chance you've got of getting a better price. So, um, and he wanted to sell it, and he didn't just want to sell it; he wanted to get a record price, and we broke the Brisbane record. Was there ever a discussion or an argument that said something like? Only a small percentage of the people will read the newspaper. The others will get me online. Absolutely. And yeah. and your comment to him around that was? Well, you just don't know where your purchase is going to come from. Yep. Just as likely as they could come from, you know, they might see the sign and walk past or they get our brochure. Or, um, but what I can tell you is that in my price points that I sell properties, and I hadn't sold a property at that price point, but now I have, um, it's interesting on, in my last quarter, and this is, this is time and time again, but I, I reverse engineer every single sale that I make and every quarter we review all of the properties that we've sold. We look at where the buyers come from. Now I do big case studies to show people. Yep. Um, and in my last quarter that's just gone, I made 16, I did 19 sales. Uh, six of them were for either from overseas or interstate. So one third were from overseas or Sydney, Melbourne. Um, but of all the people that actually came through the property, most of your interest does come from realestate.com or online portals. But the people that actually went on to purchase came off the paper. So 60% of them. So you've got a 60% chance of finding your purchaser in my last quarter off the paper. Off the paper. Which is a huge statistic. Like, you know, like, but we, we, we're doing so much social stuff now. Like we're in Instagram, Facebook, like Facebook's a giant. Like I've d downloaded my database into the, back of face into the back of Facebook, which then feeds to Instagram. We can target people and it's like I, I sold a house a couple of weeks ago for at auction for over five and the the buyer was like oh it's a sign it just kept coming up on my you know on my phone I'm like it's good it's me <laughs> <laughs> but you know there's there's just so many different facets to marketing now and uh, look I'm a huge advocate of of print um I've seen so many successes from it I've seen way more successes than not um, and you know what, your buyer might not come from, and look, I've had clients that have, and one of the, the most, my favorite ones was I was selling a house uh, on Wellsby Street in New Farm and the owner said, I'm not gonna go in the paper, that's the last thing I'm gonna do, I'm not gonna um, spend $7,000 on a full page for that week, because the paper was $7,000 a week at that point of time. And he said, it's a waste of money, it's a waste of time, and I said, you have to do it, it's what you need to do, and I stuck to my guns. And so he did, he did one ad and he was sitting across the road at the cafe watching and literally it was the open started, I was standing at the front door and I think a tumbleweed rolled past on the street and no one was around. And you'd spend $7,000. Oh yeah. And a um, <coughs> lady with her dog walked past. I was like, come on, come on, come inside. You've got to have a look at this place. And it was the neighbour from two doors up. So anyway, we, he saw that whole thing unfold and I said, look, I've got to get off to the next one. He goes, I told you it didn't work, blah, blah, blah. And I said, look, let me review. I've had a couple of calls from people today from the ad, which I did, that want to get back through, but let me have a, a call these people back and I'll come back to you this afternoon. I remember I've got a box at the Reds, um, the rugby with my business partner, Hazley, and we're driving to go to the Reds that afternoon. And I call all of my, all of my clients at six o'clock on a Saturday night just to give them a rundown from the day. And when I was going, he, I go, oh, I've got to call this guy from Wellsby Street. And Hazley's like, oh, what are you going to say? And I said, I know exactly what I've got to say. And when I rang him, he goes, okay, Matt, clearly that didn't work. What do you recommend? And I said, well, it's evident. We just didn't do a big, a big enough ad. We need to do a double page next week. 
got a double page, sold it at auction for two million and seventy. So it was. Um, <laughs> well, I think clearly what's happening here is that your rapport, the, the the communication and the relationship you're building with these people is tight. They trust you. They know that you understand what you're doing. I think for an average agent to be bold enough to do that, he'd have to be a very bold man. Well, I, so, I so had this background that. work that that had happened for him to feel comfortable that you still knew what you were doing. A hundred percent. Well, and that's that's why they, they... And, you know, like, you look at Don O'Rourke, he's, you know, yeah. reported to be like, a, you know, $800 million. And he asked my professional recommendation, the guy that got an OP16 at school mm. that became an electrician because he sucked. And, <laughs> uh, and no, look, there's, I'm not saying that if you're an electrician, you suck because you don't. There's, um, but for me, I sucked at it. Um, but it was um, one of those things that, People take if you are uh, take it seriously, they engage because if they didn't trust you or they didn't think you would, if, if they could do it themselves, they'd do it themselves. So they've engaged you to be the expert that get, gives them the best mileage that gets them the best price. So you got you got to take that very seriously. Vendor communication, Matt. Um, I know it's important. Please impress on on, on our young listeners here how important that communication is. So many times now with our young agents, I catch them sending a text or an email on something that's really quite important. Instead of picking up the phone, which they don't do for fear of, uh, of uh, confrontation, confrontation or, or disagreement, mm -hmm. they send a text, send an email, and then think they've communicated. Why won't that work? It's awful. It's the worst. It's, it's look, it's... Um, you know, I had a, some feedback from a client that about one of my agents the other week and he said, week one, amazing, every day, phone call, updated, then nothing happened on the Saturday. Then it went to every three days, I got a call. Then it was like there was no one interested or there was always someone I had to keep chasing them, go, oh, how'd that inspection go? Then week three, it went to one phone call and then I haven't heard from them this week. And it's like just so frustrating and they don't deserve to have that listing and that client deserves to be able to let out of the agency agreement and go because sure. it's like <clears> they <throat> think about it every single day like and you know what you they drive past their sign when they go into their house and they think about the sale of their house like it is a big thing you're dealing with someone's most valuable asset and it's something you just can't take for granted like you have to work um, so communication for me in my business looks um, like I talk to them twice a day every day. So I talk to them in the morning and night. And one of the best analogies is when I built my house and uh, a few years ago, I built a, an architectural home in New Farm and I was the client from hell because I get excited about building, I get excited about everything, but I think I got to revisions page 180 with my architect because every time <laughs> I'd go on site, I'd want to change something. So, and I think the reason I went on site is because I just didn't know what was going on. And I'd go in and I'd make changes and it was terrible. But if my builder called me every single morning at eight o'clock and said, hey, Matt, this is what we're doing today. We're going to, the chippies are going to do this. The electrician's going to fit off. The plumber's going to fit off. Um, and I'll let you know how we go this afternoon. Calls me in the afternoon, says, hey, everything went really well, except the plumber couldn't get there. He's going to come back in the morning. And they do that every single day. How many times do you reckon I'm going to go on site? Hardly ever. Maybe just once a week to the site meeting. So... I thought about that and so if I call my vendor every single morning before they get to call me and I say this is what we're doing for the day, they're going to leave me alone all day and you become you can be, um, be really productive throughout the day. Then in the afternoon if you ring them up and you tell them everything that you've done for that day, one, 
it solidifies that you're actually working and you're doing things in your front of mind to them um, and that you're communicating with them at all points. So they feel they trust you and they feel as if you're doing everything possible to get them the best possible price. But what agents do is they start off really well and then when things go bad, they stop the communication. But when things aren't going the way they should, they should be talking to them more and changing course. Yes. And, and what generally happens is when a client calls or a day goes by or two days goes by or three days goes by, by that third day, you're like, oh my God, I haven't called this person. I can't call them. I'm what too scared. I what, I, what am I going to say to them? And generally you'll call them up and you'll, they'll say, oh, I thought you were dead. And then you go, ha, ha, ha. And then they're over it and they'll go, what ha what's happening with my property? It's fine. And so what it is, it's, it's actually harder to, to make the call than it isn't to make the call, if that makes sense. So most people get really, really, you know, they think that on the other end of the phone, it's going to be the end of the world, but you just need to make that call. So make it, don't not, communicate. <laughs> Great advice. And face-to-face and, and -face as much as you can. Like if you can have one face-to-face -face meeting, that equals 10 phone calls. So, and people can see what you're doing, you know, just weekly, set it in for the, so when you set your program around it, if they're local, set it every single week at the same time after the open home, sit down, take the time. They really appreciate it. Hope all the young fellas are listening to that. That's fantastic advice. Please touch on for, for two minutes, your team, because to do what you do with the volume you're doing it, you need a good team. How does your team structure work? I'm talking about your personal mm -hmm. Matt Lancashire selling team. How does that work? Um, and what are the individual functions? Yeah, well, it's interesting. So um, I have myself, obviously, which my role is just to do dollar productive activities. So my job is to list and sell. Um, so everything in between, all of the things that are non-income producing are done by one of my other team members. So I have Serena, who is my full-time EA. So she runs everything from the marketing, from she puts all of my, my pipeline on my desk um, to call. Uh, she pipes, pr prints out all my uh, anniversary calls to call. She runs, she runs my pod. So she, she um, sets all the opens. She does, she, knows, she sets all my appointments so no one can ring me for an appointment. They have to ring her um, because I'll just book things and I'll be like, oh, geez, that doesn't coincide. So she manages my diary. Um, so she's effectively managing the whole team and me and the marketing side of it. Um, I've also got Pat as well. So Pat is my sales associate who effectively is a co-agent on all of my stock, runs campaigns um, with me. Um, but we found we got quite busy last year. And um, at the end of every year, like I said, I re reverse engineer how we go for a quarter. And we sat down and we thought, where are we? Where's the deficiency in our business at the moment? Because we just got really busy. Um, some of the stock was taking a little bit longer to sell. And um, what we found was we'd, a buyer would come through a property, we'd follow them up, they wouldn't be interested, then we'd sort of just forget about that buyer a little bit, which was not great. Um, and what I found was that at the moment I got spent some time with a buyer or I spent more time with them, the more comfortable they got and we're doing more deals, like it was, it was simple. Um, so what I found was that where I was lacking is having someone that looks after my buyers. So um, I put on a, a Brad, who's now purely buyers. So all he does is run buyers through all of our stock. He does, uh, he's got an expectation to do 10 private viewings outside of open times, which I think is really important. Yep. Pat's got the same expectation to do that, just to run and work buyers. Um, and not only just sell ours, but also sell them into something else as well. So um, since we've done that, it's been a game changer. So 
really, really structured. Did you find, is this just personal choice that you chose to work with two other men or would a woman work equally well in that function for you? Oh, I'd, I'd love to have a great woman in just my business. No, it makes no difference. Just as, as long as they're, you know, if, if we, all, we all gel well together. So yeah. if, if we're all um, in sync with each other, we all work hard together, um, it, it doesn't matter to me. No, I'd, I'd love to have a great, a great uh, woman in the business for sure. I think it'd be great. It just seems in an office like ours now, we're starting to attract more young men than women. Yep. And I just didn't want to get the balance completely wrong where we're almost men heavy. Yep. So I'm finding it quite difficult to attract women who have the same seriousness about it as men. Well, it's, um, you know, they, you, they go into faith. Younger women, they, you know, get married, have yes. children, all of those sorts of things. It, and it's, um, well, the priorities change, you know, and, and r- rightly so. And I think, um, you know, we, we've got a big issue at the moment with our business. We, our whole leadership team is female um, and they're all just married and all wanting to have children yes. soon. So, but look, it's great. So we're going to build a crash. <laughs> <laughs> well, knowing your office, actually, that's probably not far-fetched. It's not a, it's not a it's bad not idea. Far-fetched. We've introduced something that's quite funny too. We're allowing, because we've got quite a nice backyard at our Mermaid Beach office, and we're encouraging them to bring in their dogs and things. That's good. And they bring them, we've got this backyard, and it's bloody wonderful. We're yeah. full of puppies and making a noise. And it really relaxes the team and seems to give it a friendly environment. Yeah. And now we're finding clients pop in with their little puppies and they have a coffee. And oh, it's awesome. It's kind of cool it is. Um, just to make them feel part of community. Oh, I agree, 100%. Finally. Is there an end game in sight for the the, the Matt Lancashire, Hazley Cush juggernaut? <laughs> Rolling through Brizzy, you're both young guys, built fantastic business and still growing and kicking goals. And it seems like until you have world domination, there's no stopping you. No, it's always, look, it's... Is it um, just happening? Is it evolving? Oh, it's or, a, or is it their plan to make it happen it's, this way? It's, it's evolving and it's, um, you know, we're loving it. We're loving what we do at the moment and it's... Um, you know, when Hazley and I went to, to go back into business together, it took us six times at the negotiation table to actually make it happen. Um, and that six times was over about a two-year two year period. He's a difficult bug, I know. Oh, I think it's... Um, <laughs> look, and look, we, we, we both, um, you know, we know what our both our skill sets were, but I think going into business with someone as well, we take it very seriously and we take... Like, we don't want to just go into... Bu- I didn't want to just put, go into business with Hazley because I was struggling to meet my appointments or you know, and a short-term quick fix. I wanted it to be something that, and I've known him for 30 years and it still took us six times to get to the table. And I do a lot of reading and um, I and I watch a lot of like documentaries and I, I read this article or it was sort of like a, a story on Warren Buffett and um, Bill Gates and they met each other for the first time. And this is only a few years ago. And they went on a retreat together for three days and they were in lockdown. And at the end of that, um, three-day meeting they said well let's think of one word and you write one word and I'll write one word what you've learned from this whole experience and they both wrote the same word and that word was focus so when Hazley and I were doing the same thing we we're about to do this deal and we were bit apart on price and we just couldn't bridge it and um, I remember when Ray, Ray White corporate and corporate and we went into the other room and because um, we had accountants with us and it was just not happening and I said to Hazley, I want you to write down on a piece of paper what you want to achieve from what we're doing. And I'm going to write on a piece of paper what I want to achieve from this and let's just see if we're in sync. Um, and he wrote um, happy, H-A-P-P-Y, and I wrote happiness. 
and we did the deal. And um, so to answer your question, we are extremely happy doing what we're doing at the moment. There's no expectation or no number or anything like that. The one thing that we both really want to achieve is just to have, you know, people just kill it. And, you know, we're seeing that at the moment. We've got a young guy, um, Josh Brown, at the moment who's just firing at the moment. I think he, he has never been elite before, but this year he's got, he'll go chairman before he goes elite. And um, he's just on fire. And he was nearly – he applied for the firefighters last year to leave the industry. Wow. And then he got serious. And in 12 months he's gone from being the guy that was going to be a firefighter to a chairman elite, um, and which is a pretty incredible story. Great story. And, and we love that. Um, but – you know, the one thing, and to, to completely answer your question is we want, if we get to a point where someone comes and offers us a big number to buy us out, we'll say no thanks. That's what we want to do. Isn't that fantastic? I think you touched on something that's close to my heart too because I'm, I'm much older than you. And you get to the point where I get an immense pleasure from somebody who gets it. All of a sudden the lights go on, they start working hard they make lots of money their lives become immeasurably better they you know they can have a dignified retirement and i'm getting an enormous amount of pressure seeing other young people get it mm. and i can see it happening in your business all the time you've got new people coming through all the time and in our industry when they get it they make a lot of money they do it's very cool and it's it look it just comes down to you know if they know what they want and they're serious about it the blueprint's there like, yes. like, I'll get up and do a, a training session and I could literally say, talk to more people that own homes, ring them up and ask them if they want to sell and the person who calls the most amount of people and they say yes, will make the most amount of money. The end. <laughs> Couldn't be simpler. Simple. But what agents will do is overcomplicate it and they go, oh, well, you know, ah, that letterbox drop didn't work, so I'm not going to do that. And then, you know, oh, I did, a, I did a cold call and they screamed at me, that doesn't work anymore. I went and did a door knock and no one was home or was an investor, that doesn't work. Um, and then they keep rewriting their plan and then before they know it, they, two years has gone by and they haven't done anything. And it's just about sit down and focus on the structure and do, there's going to be setbacks and it's not going to be easy and you're going to get told to piss off. And you're going to get shut down and you're going to feel, you know, small at times and insignificant. And But I'll tell you what, you know, if you do it consistently and you just do the hard work, I can guarantee you, and back to your 20%, 80% thing, all you need to do, 80% of it is hard work. 20% of it is your skill set. So I agree with you. What fantastic advice. On that note, we're going to close it off because I want all of the people listening to know that there was some wisdom in that. Matt Lancashire, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Larry. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Listen to Larry. Make sure you like and subscribe, and we hope you took something away from today's podcast.